Hey, nice to meet you. Yeah, happy to have you. Where uh, where are you calling us from, Brad? I'm in uh, the great state of Arkansas, uh, northwest corner. And uh, oh wow, yeah, up in the land of Walmart. Oh, indeed. I uh, I grew up as uh, the neighbor of Arkansas and Mississippi. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So my um, my sister and and her family they live uh, in Greenville, so right next to the uh, river and the border there. So they uh, they venture over into Arkansas quite often, from what I understand. Uh, well, quite a venture. <laughs> <laughs> are you are are you a native? Yeah, I am. Um, I'm uh, I'm from Little Rock, but uh, oh, okay. I, I moved up here and stayed after uh, college. So. Got you. Big, big Razorback fan. I am. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Season ticket holder, you know. <laughs> hey, you know, it's. I had a pretty good chance of, of getting that right. You know, it's. Uh, <laughs> it's the only game know, in town. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, the, the Red Wolves are, you know, they're hanging around from time to time. Yeah, they're all right. <laughs> what the hell are you two talking about? We're talking football right now, dude. <laughs> Sports ball, man. <laughs> all right. Well. Brad, you're you're doomed with us for an hour. Okay, awesome. You made a piece of art that captured my imagination, and I've been ranting about ever since I got my hands on it. Now, for everybody, there's a story I told about going to a Bigfoot fest. Oh, God, what was that, three years ago out here? Our buddy Kai, Wath, Kai Wada Roth mm-hmm. put on a fest at the Balboa Theater where we do everything, and it was Bigfoot Bonanza, and it was a... What I thought would be a fun weekend turned out to be a actual, like, pretty heavy study of the uh, cryptid Bigfoot. And uh-huh. people were passionate about it, and they flew out here. And I felt kind of lost, because the documentaries that um, populate the world of cryptids are kind of stale. They're, they're very serious. They're always trying to, like, make you a believer. And they come off kind of, like, lame. Like we deal with like a lot of different like forms and of art and documentary and direct cinema and cinema verite and they they never really come from like a appreciation of film point of view. There was one I know I always mention this Swan Song of the Skunk Ape. It's fantastic. And I thought I I found a movie and this whole weekend was worth it and I love it and we wanted to support Kai. But on Saturday night, he told me and I think eight other people who have been in and out on the show that we work with. And uh, he was like, hey, stick around. We got one more movie. Everybody at the fest is pretty much gone. And I haven't seen it, but I think Bigfoot like, is killing people. And we're like, whoa, it's a fiction? And he's like, yeah, it's called Night of the Demon, too. I don't know what it, what's going on with it. And um, this was midnight. And uh, you know, the evening is a little bit hazy to me, but I remember this being the best exploitive Bigfoot film I had ever seen in my life. And we ranted and raved about it ever since. So when Severin came around and they said, we're, we're doing a blowout of this movie. They're restoring it. It's going to be two discs. There's a poster, a patch, a sticker, a keychain, a fucking statue of the Bigfoot holding the penis that he rips off of a, a random a motorcyclist and a book. And I just remember being like, what the fuck? This is insane. Right. So of course I bought it. But here's the thing, Brad. Uh, we're talking to you because I made a commitment. Clark said I couldn't do it, which is the real reason I'm doing it. I'm going to read 50 books this year. And when I got this novel, I was like, what the fuck is going on here? How did they make this a novel? So you know what? I jumped. I have a stack of books in my room, but I jumped the queue. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to read this and then I'll watch the movie. I think it'll be fun to talk about. Um, 
Brad, uh, I just want to open this up and say, I think you hurt the film for me, dude. Your book <laughs> is, I'm just going to say it right now, it's better than the movie. Well, I <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> Isn't that what every author who, who's done something that was either a film or made into a film wants to hear? The book is better, right? Here's the thing, though. Most of the time you get the elitist fan who's like, oh, I read the book before the movie and here's all the things they fucked up. Yeah. Instead, we have an avant-garde uh, slasher film made by a porn director. That, mm-hmm. I mean, hey, we're a, hack, we're a hack film podcast. That is gold for us. Indeed. Right? That's like, that's the cream of the crop. And you made, you turned it into a novel. And I think normally I would be arguing that you, you took all of the mystique out by making a coherent story. You <laughs> added more characters that end up being more likable than the characters in the film. And you, 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 put a, you did something amazing where you captured the camp. There's, st- there's more gore in the book, which is a weird thing to say. Right. But also you, you gave it a level of empathy where you're rooting for these characters and all of the twists and turns that you've connected, because I don't think you really changed anything that like an elitist would be or like an enthusiast would be fucking angry about. But by the end, I was praying that you changed the end because I'm like, wait, I like these people now. This isn't the regular slasher movie. Yeah, I, I want them to live. I'm not going to ruin it. But when I when I put the book down, I was like, we got to talk to this dude. And um. I'm just going to bug you. I'd like to know how you hooked up with Severn. I want you to um, give us some context for like this weird 70s horror novel revival thing, because I have no idea what that's about. And um, yeah, I dude, Brad, I'm just excited to talk at you for an hour. <laughs> well, I'm glad you liked it. Um... Dude, it's fantastic. I went on Goodreads, gave it five stars. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, let me see. Yeah, you as to how I got hooked up with Severin. Um, I go to uh, Texas Frightmare Weekend every year, you know, the big horror convention. And uh, for many years, Severin's had a table, and um, I I got to you know just after a while be friends with uh, with David Gregory, who is like you know one of my heroes. I think he does amazing amazing stuff. And um, he's the brains behind Severin and a great dude. Yeah, he's he's an awesome guy. And uh, I, I, I think a mutual friend of ours um, had brought up the idea of doing a uh, novelization for uh, Cruel Jaws. And oh, um, oh boy, hold on. Let me stop you there. What mutual friend? It's not your brother. Uh, no, no, it's a, a, a guy from uh, Austin named Max, uh, who's another guy that I've met, you know, years ago at the horror convention and, and is also a friend of David's. And uh, we were just uh, kicking around this idea. And I thought, you know, we were had a few beers. It was probably just talk. But um, uh, turns out he was serious. And um, so I wrote Cruel Jaws and uh I think he was impressed that, like you said, I wrote a book, you know, an actual <laughs> book. You know, I, I think it was originally the idea was just to kind of have like this collector's item. And but, I, you know, I, I'm a writer outside of these things. And I figured if my name's going on the front, I better, I better you know, give it the full effort yeah, go to work. And, uh, you know, it did really well. And so um, we decided to do another one and uh, Night of the Demon. And then we've done a third one since uh, Mardi Gras Massacre. Oh, yeah. 
And now, so you're not you're not just a random person over there, though. You had a how many books did you have under your belt at that time? Um, let me think. Uh, did I? I had six uh, before yeah. I did Cruel Jaws, and um, then I had a a seventh come out between Cruel Jaws and Night of the Demon. Now, looking looking at the titles you've written, though, it didn't seem like, hey, there's an author who's a fan. Hey, he'll write a book because I could totally imagine some like legal typist or something. Just anybody who would actually do it, maybe getting hooked up. But it looks like you're already in the like same tone as these films, right? Like you rewrote Satan Walks the Trailer Park, a humorous horror tale of Barlow. Yeah. What, yeah. what, is, what, is, that, what is that about? Well, um, so I, my first book was actually another Bigfoot thing, and it's sort of a, uh, a gay buddy comedy with Sasquatch set in like small town Arkansas. And uh, so this isn't my first go around with the Sasquatch. I'm going to get that to Judd Apatow's office immediately. Oh yeah. And so, um, I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of uh you know, this stuff. I mean, like, um, you know, before I had done any work with Severin, I had, you know, I don't know if you can see that. Oh, you know, rad. Um, but so, I mean, you know, I, I love, I love horror movies. I love the Italian stuff in particular. And, uh, which is kind of how I really came to love Severin. They put out like burial ground and Dr. Butcher and, you know, all these great, Great movies. And so, I mean, getting to combine writing with horror movies and to do it, you know, for Severin was like a, it was a really a dream come true. And it's, it's worked. I'm hoping, uh, you know, hoping we'll do another one. I uh, you know, now, I'm right do you now, have any, how many Bruno Mattei tattoos do you have? <laughs> None, but, you know, I, I think I keep thinking I need to get a Cruel Jaws thing because that was how this all started. Um, but, it's uh, crazy that that was the starting point. <laughs> I know. And, you know, it's such a weird thing to, you know, it used to be, you know, you get the novelization and, you know, read, read this and then see the movie that's coming in a month or whatever. But, you know, this is <laughs> you know how old and uh, we're putting a brand new novelization out. I mean, just kind of the uh, it's genius or stupidity. I don't know. but. Um, it, okay, now, really now, is cool. that, now correct me if I'm wrong. I've only recently started to hear about this like 70s novel ho horror movie mm -hmm. novel renaissance because of like a lot of conversations around uh, Brady Hendrix. And mm -hmm. is that what it was about? Like, hey, the fly is coming out. We're going to put out a book so you can read about it and keep getting pumped and then watch the movie. Or like, what is that whole thing about? <clears throat> you know, honestly, I don't know. I think, um, I mean, I think specifically with Severin, it's just they have such um, a, a loyal following and, um, you know, people like to get um, something extra with the movie. And I'm sure there are a lot of people that got the book and just stuck it on the shelf like, you know, some yep. tchotchke and never read it. But I think everyone that did read it, you know, really liked it because uh, Cruel Jaws. Um, and really night of the demon you know they're they are very limited by their budget and they didn't have much means but when you're writing you can do you know you do whatever you want you don't you don't have to worry about uh not having the budget for it and so 
um, I think people like to sort of read it and think, well, what if, you know, what if uh, Matei had had big money to make cruel jaws or, you know, I think he would have done the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, here's here's (laughs) 10 movies (laughs) now. Okay. Like when we're looking at cruel jaws and night of the demon, it's interesting because, okay, one, it's tragic that you're almost hired to create a piece of art that is almost just a, uh, aesthetic for a collector. Like it's like in no way did I imagine that people would be pouring through this book. And again, I only did it as part of pretty much a dare. And it's like, I mean, I read two books that somebody lent to Clark and I'm like, Clark's not going to read them. I'm going to read them. And one of them was a sequel to a book I had never read about a skeleton living with a family, which is like, I mean, it's slightly interesting to me. It turned out to be a great book. Yeah. But you're dealing with something different. You you need to put it back, by the way. Yeah, I should bring it back in here. Um, You're dealing with something different because we live in a world where if you fuck with the canon or the IP of a beloved franchise, you can be killed. I mean, look at Spielberg, right? And look look at, um, uh, who's the other one, the culprit with them in Indiana Jones? Why can't I not think uh, of that? Lucas. Yeah, Lucas, Lucas. Lucas. Lucas with fucking Greedo and Han Solo. Like people, they will never move past that. Yeah. And yet you're coming into a couple, you're dealing with a couple of films that just don't work on paper. Yeah. Like <laughs> there's not a coherent story there. And I'm like, what is the struggle there with like dealing with like liberties? Like, is there any point where you're, where you're like, this is too much. I'm getting too far away from the movie. Or is that like the last of your concern? Um, you know, early on, um, I, you know, I asked David like exactly how far can I go with this? And he just, he really just gave me free reign to, to do it. And, um, I mean, part of the issue is, uh, you know, a, a screenplay is, you know, around 90 pages and I've got to get a 300 page book out of that. And necessarily it, it means adding stuff, um, you know, and I've, I've changed the endings, <laughs> <laughs> to some of these things actually I think all three of them I changed the endings to um but you know they're not it's I'm not writing Star Wars or Star Trek <laughs> so um you know I think the audience for these could be for a little more forgiving but I to to directly answer it I I just don't even think about it I just um I kind of put myself in I want to capture the spirit of the original material. Um, and I kind of come at it from the perspective of what would these guys have done if they had budget, you know, um, if they had, uh, access to better actors, better writers. <laughs> I mean, um, so Brad, I what, what, yeah. What does the construction of that look like though? I mean, like how many times are you watching the film or how many times are you reading the script? How do you break that down? Um, so generally I, uh, I watch the movie just through and then I'll, um, just to kind of get, you know, to get the stuff, I've seen all of these before, but it had been years. So to get it fresh in my head, I'll watch it and the, then I'll give it a second, uh, watch through and just kind of try and block out the structure, the general structure, the story arc, um, who the point of view characters are in certain scenes. And then I'll look at, and that's just a map of what's actually on the film. And then I'll just sort of read through my own outline to, um, to figure out where the holes can be filled. Um, you know, there's, 
where there's room for additional characters, uh, additional scenes. Um, and then, um, you know, I'll, I'll watch the movie one last time just to get, you know, if there's any like lines of dialogue that really jump out at me that oh, I gotta have that in there, you know, and I'll, I'll put the timestamps of those down and, um, and I sort of, you know, watch it as I write, you know, um, just to keep, keep that feel fresh in my head, but just painting the house. Yeah. No. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's a lot like writing one of my own books. I always work from an outline. Um, but once, once I'm cooking, I, I don't really, uh, you know, <laughs> concern myself too much with, you know, am I being, is this too, am I taking too many liberties? But I, I think it's about 50, 50 in the, in, terms of my own content versus all right Uh, all right don't listen to brad he's being incredibly humble there (laughs) are okay here's the thing when a studio gets a hold of a uh, ip and they expand it with money the main complaint uh you you know it's a good example we're talking a lot about predator prey just came out Mm -hmm. there's a franchise that doesn't have a lot of uh there's not a lot of sinew attaching these films and I think the only way that you can go run afoul of the audience is when you don't treat it with respect. And I think the new Prey is getting a lot of love because they treated the Predator character with respect. Like there's some, some gravity there with him. What Brad did with this book, he added shit. He added storylines that don't even collide with any of the main characters. So, you know, you could sit there and be like, well, what's, what's the point? Except this motherfucker, he's a surgeon. And he's, he's operating on this movie. And what he's doing is in the background, he's giving a lot of weight to our characters. The professor, dude, Brad, here's a good example. We were watching Night of the Demon to get ready to talk to you. And at one point, Clark was, I don't know, he was doing research on his phone. I'll be charitable here. And he came back and he was like, wait, what's going on in this movie? Because if you blink, a lot of the shit will happen. And you're like, oh, well, now they're on a field trip and they met a random yeah. guy in the right. woods and he's threatened them, but he's already come back and they're friends again. And uh, I'm not usually the type I get lost in my head while watching movies, but I knew every beat of this film and not because of the film, but because of the book. Yes. Not only <laughs> that, I, Brad, let me tell you this. I watch a lot of films with Russell. Uh, the majority of films I watch, I probably watch with you uh-huh. a, a good portion. And he has terrible recall of characters' names. Oh, dude. As do I. And I think that's a very common thing. But in the hundreds of movies I have watched with this man, he never (laughs) goes about, oh, well, Sally, she wouldn't do that. I mean, it was insane that he had these character recalls because he read that goddamn book and he annoyed the <laughs> shit out of me when he was watching this movie because of your book. So thank that you. That would be the highest praise I've ever gotten. <laughs> so, your book inspired me to annoy the shit out of somebody. <laughs> <laughs> annoying because I turned into that dork where it's like, this changes everything. Greedo should have shot for... And it's yeah. like, you know, it. the thing is, you... It's... What I'm trying to articulate here is that even though you've reapproached the film and you've expanded on it, I don't think anybody who is in love with Night of the Demon would complain that you added a scene, you created a restaurant, there's a burger joint in the woods, but in the back of the burger joint, there's also a mortuary. It's yeah. kind of a small town double down thing. So Clark looked up the wrong movie on IMDb and he's like, wait, 
this this movie takes place in a morgue and i was like uh that's that's a bad description but yeah because <laughs> i didn't remember the movie but i was fresh on the book yeah there's a fantastic scene where he makes this there's new characters he's written all this stuff is new but they're doing an autopsy and it's in the back of a burger joint in a mortuary in a small t- he really helps paint the picture of how remote this town is mm-hmm. and just how in now in the book he's a lot meaner to our lead too the professor and he's got this whole backstory about how he's been run out of all these other colleges because yeah. he's an anthropologist who won't give up on cryptozoology but he's not a bad guy although he's cheated on his wife which is another these are all layers in the movie you don't get so by the end of the book there's a huge betrayal with the professor like i went from he's our protagonist i'm rooting for him to why is he the last to die and you're you're a coward and you're a bad dude we're in the movie it doesn't fucking matter this is a slasher film they're all gonna go so i just want to say it's almost weird there's no argument to read the book if you're a fan of the movie because the movie is something completely different it's a fucking mess it's a visual blender of a film the book is legitimately good so if you're a fan of reading read night of the demon whether you like the movie or not yeah i mean <laughs> the, I, the the characters are pretty thin as in, in, in the movie i mean and to the point where you hardly even know their names i mean they're except for russell fisher so I, what Clark's talking about is I was complaining about Carla in the film. You've, yeah. You revamped that, car, that character in a way that she felt like three-dimensional. Where in the movie, it, here's the other thing. Because of the book, I was so intimate with these. And I, you know, you, there's something different. Where in a film, when you walk into a police station and the secretary is kind of off-putting or rude, it's just a thing. It kind of glazes over you and you don't think about it. But when you read it in text, and it's like, oh, um, Sally didn't look up from her book and drank her coffee while I was talking to her. It's kind of like you digest it differently. So when I was watching it after reading the book, I was like hyper aware of everything. Yeah. <laughs> and my God, the characters felt two dimensional. And also just from like uh, the way they were dressed. You're like, what the who the fuck is she? Like Carla almost looks like she just got done doing heroin. She's got right. stringy hair. And it's like she's there looking for her dad. But like, does she, I don't even buy that she cares. Yeah. In the movie, it, yeah, you almost forget that that's why she's there. She seems pretty happy about it, although you know, <laughs> you know, just to be out there and to be tagging along with these college kids and, uh, so, you know, that doesn't being, work in a, in, in a book. No. Uh, and yet you took that classroom with this like, uh, hey, let's go on a field trip and find Bigfoot. And you fleshed each one of them out. And they kind of occupy their own part of the story. And, you know, briefly you mentioned, yeah, I watched the movie and I kind of deal with it. It's like, no, you didn't. You comb through that fucking film. Yeah. You have. Yeah, I mean, the in a part of it is in a movie you have sound, you you have, you know, visual, you have all this stuff. But when you're writing a book, you have words and that's it. And, I mean, I could have just, you know, done a blow by blow description and called it a novel, but, um, you know, the there's, fun. 
there's not much there. Um, you know, in, in the movie, you have all these spectacular gore set pieces to kind of pull you along. And to an extent, you can do that on the printed page, but uh, I, I don't think it has the kind of, you can't have that visual impact. So you have to have something else to pull you along. And so if you're going to kill a character in a, a, a book, um, your best, thing to do is make them three-dimensional make the reader care about them and then that scene has weight um it's not just a random person getting their junk ripped off it's uh <laughs> it, was, it was like easy that was my easy rider chapter the guy bringing the drugs on his motorcycle <laughs> and i was like well why is you know why is this guy out there anyway <laughs> I mean, uh, so what reason does this guy have for being on this bike on this back road, you know? So I just started thinking, well, he could be, you know, a drug mule or something. (laughs) So yeah, write that. I mean, and you know, nobody's gonna, you know, none of these, none of these filmmakers are going to come sue me. No, you know, I'm glad you brought up the motorcycle guy because again, Brad, I don't think you're selling it enough. In the movie (laughs) that we just watched, there's a dude on a motorcycle. We have like a wide shot. He comes up to the side of the road, walks over and pees, and then Bigfoot attacks him. We do get a uh, fantastic shot of his genitalia. Yeah. This is a porn director. And, you know, this kind of, again, when you were doing... Well, it was very ha- progressive. Very. And when you're, when you're on a hacky yeah. film podcast, this is the kind of stuff we're looking for. That's right. So this right. is a beloved scene that is really awful filmmaking. What yeah. you get... <laughs> We open up and there's an, uh, you know, the voice changes with every character and they all feel lived in and unique. This guy is a little braggadocious. He's uh, running drugs. He's driving alone on the road. He pulls out a gun, starts firing at stop signs or at uh, speed limits, right? He doesn't give a fuck. He's uh, full of uh, machismo. He pulls over. He's looking forward to peeing. He's talking about how great it is. You yeah, just you can, outside, yeah. <laughs> it's like technicolor in this goddamn book. Bigfoot comes up. No. Okay. If you haven't seen the movie, what are you doing? Uh, you should stop and go watch it. But I want to get in spoiler territory. And there's one thing that you changed that, God, you really did hurt the film for me. And I, I did not remember Bigfoot being a Lou Ferrigno with like some fur on him. Yeah. <laughs> right? That is. And in the book, He's a he's what you want your Bigfoot to be, your skunk yeah. ape. He's a giant, hairy monster that strikes fear into people, but also he's always erect. And this yeah. this, this <laughs> jealous. Here's the important thing. There's a sensibility that Brad had to navigate where this is the movie known for Bigfoot ripping a dick off. So we have to we have to get lowbrow. But his yeah. highbrow application of these pros is what sells it. So Bigfoot, he's not just a raper. <laughs> he's trying to procreate. He might be the last of his species, and right. he's trying to find the one that will birth his child. Well, that's what Harvey Weinstein's <laughs> argument was. But but now Bigfoot, unlike Harvey Weinstein, did not have gruesome genitalia. Well, he <laughs> had a... <laughs> what is that? You can just... Well, the the thing, okay, so this this goes back again to Cruel Jaws. Is one of the thing that David asked me to do was to make it more on brand for Severin because that movie's really tame, and so I had to amp up the sleaze. And so I thought, well, that would be kind of my approach to all these. But Night of the Demons 
pretty sleazy. And when you get to that scene, it's like, well, how can I, how can I turn up the volume on that just a little more? Uh, I mean, I, I'm sorry. This maybe gets into spoiler territory here, but I thought, how do you go farther than Bigfoot ripping this guy's junk off? And I thought, I know <laughs> I'll have him sniff it and then throw it. <laughs> you know, and I just thought that one little, you know, that kind of touch of like, he's yanked this thing off and he's like thinking about eating it. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> and so that's, that's kind of been my approach is like, how do I turn up the volume on this even more? And that scene was like, once, once I had that idea, I was, uh, and which was pretty early on, I was off and running. <laughs> I really had the, I really had the feel for that book. And I mean, I wrote, <laughs> I wrote it really quickly. I think like in 10 weeks or something. I mean, oh, wow. now there's, there's a, uh, part of the labyrinth of the movie that is night of the demon is how weirdly structured that shit is. We have like, I'll get in more to this, uh, or I will have gotten in more into this in the episode that goes up earlier this week, but we have like flashbacks buried in flashbacks. And then like, there's people telling oral stories that there's no visuals to it's all over the fucking place. Yeah. And you take a dream sequence that is a throwaway excuse to have a kill. That's almost like a bait and switch. And you, you gave it some fucking levity, man. You gave it there. There's no levity. I'm wrong. You gave it weight, like narrative weight. And it was one of the most profound things I think you did because you took a character, uh, the professor's wife, who's kind of just there. And she goes on a journey with one of the cult leaders there's i mean this is how far he goes there's a coup in the cult in his yeah. book there always is i write there always is such as the nature those things <laughs> but like his, his wife gets wined and dined by the girl that does the coup and it's one of my favorite arcs and just having seen the movie i'm like one i don't remember either of these characters in the movie but two that can't that can't mean good things for them and uh, dude, I just, man, I, ha I wanted to get you on here so I could just praise you for this thing because part of me felt like you wrote the most, the most audacious book knowing that nobody was going to read it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, part of that's kind of I, what I thought would be fun is to, um, you know, at first when I was thinking about writing these novelizations, it's, you know, and I'm not sure there are many writers who are like real jazzed about working on, you know, someone else's story. But I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if I sort of um, wrote these books like um, I didn't elevate them content wise, but maybe tonally. And um, so I just kind of I wrote them like I would, you know, one of my original novels. Um, the material sleazy, but I, I think I've tried to keep the writing to where it works and, um, you know, and expanding certain characters like the wife, she was, she's in like two scenes in, yeah. in the movie. And, uh, I just thought, well, there's something there. There's that one scene that the professor and his wife share. There feels like there's, there should be more to it. And so plus I, I, I the women aren't really treated very kindly oh. in the movie, so I thought, well, what if I get some uh, 
female characters that aren't just raped by Bigfoot and murdered, <laughs> you know, and thrown around. Um, uh, you know, mainly it's just if I was reading this, what would I like to read? And um, because you can't please everybody, but you can please yourself. It's so. <laughs> a big part of it. <laughs> yeah. And you you answered you answered a question that I had, so I'll, I'll rephrase my question now uh, with that. And you mentioned that you know you don't know a whole lot of authors who would be psyched about you know working on someone else's material, which is mm -hmm. what you're doing with you know a film novelization. But do you think that did that provide a sense of security somewhat with you of like I, all I have to do is fill in the skeleton? And I can have a lot of creativity in there because I've got a skeleton, but, you know, this thing could look a whole lot of different ways. I just have, you know, the base here or, you know, was um, was it sort of a hindrance and you just had to kind of find a rhythm to get there? Um, you know, and that's a, I mean, it, it enables me to write them faster um, because, I'm you know, like about half of the material I don't have to come up with. Um, but I always, uh, you know, I love writing. It's, uh, it's you know, really the one thing I can do well. Um, <laughs> and so I like to, it's fun for me. And so I always approach it like, um, how can I have fun with this? Um, and how can I, you know, how could I make something, uh, I don't want to say better than the movie, but different it's than, that people who like the movie would still be into. Um, and like, you know, first and foremost, I'm a fan of this stuff. And so I, I feel like if, you know, I, if it's something I would want to read that other people who are into the same stuff would want to read it. And, um, you know, I'm sure some of my old writing professors would probably look at it as like one step above prostitution, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I it, it surprised the hell out of me how much fun I've had writing these novelizations. Um, and uh, I just kind of decided I'm going to lean into it. And, um, you know, as many of these come my way, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take all these projects and if I become the sleazy novelization guy, you know, so be it. <laughs> All right, well, you know, we can get some people. We can get uh, Charlie Band on the horn, oh see if God. Full Moon wants to do some <laughs> novelizations. Uh, yeah, I actually, I, I did approach him at, uh, <laughs> at Texas Frightmare, and I haven't heard from him. Uh, uh, I, I, I wrote a, a novelization for Arrow. I did uh, uh, Phantom of the Mall. Oh, and really? What I did there was, I guess, the original screenplay was pretty different from what ended up on in in the movie, and they wanted me to write a novel based on the original screenplay. And then there was like a change in ownership at Arrow. I don't know. They didn't really keep me in the loop. They, uh, but I wrote this novel, and they haven't published it yet, and uh, it kind of breaks my heart. So every opportunity I get to talk about it, because I didn't have to sign a non-disclosure or anything. Like, there, you go. There, is, there is a finished, edited, ready-to-go uh, Phantom of the Mall that I wrote now, for Arrow. And Brad, let me jump in there. Now, Phantom of the Mall, for people who don't know, is one of those lost films that, uh, like, you know, all of horror fans we're all digging for gems or movies that had like a celebrity attached to them that nobody ever saw. Phantom of the Mall had uh, one of Clark's favorite comedians, Polly Shore, <laughs> yes. Polly Shore at the helm. Yeah. 
And it became one of those things. And our buddy, buddy. our old third chair had tracked it down and he got a bootleg of it and he fucking hated it. So he gave it to me. I think we might have it downstairs. I've never watched it though. I can't imagine it's very good. Now I would read your book in a second. It's got like Morgan Fairchild in it too. I think (laughs) in four he's in it. A power couple. Of Paul Shore and Morgan Fairchild. <laughs> Ken Forhees in it. Oh, of course he is. Yeah, I don't. So, so what is that about? What? What? The, Phantom of the Mall. Oh well, it's it's Phantom of the Opera set in the mall. I mean, it's <laughs> a, it's a, the guy gets burned. He comes back. You know, he's in love with the girl. Well, see, I mean, narratively, that's very interesting for you because that's a you know that's a hat on a hat on a hat yeah, of, of what we're doing here. So, and, like, did you do research on you know, Phantom of the Opera at all, or it just? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, I. And um, the original screenplay hewed pretty close to, you know, the, that as far as the structure and the themes and everything. I didn't really, since they wanted me to uh, to work based on that original screenplay, I I did. I have seen the movie, but I didn't go back and watch it because I didn't want any uh, anything to bleed over. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and I, I wrote like this. I mean, I don't know. I I don't think. I'm not sure if it's the best one of the novelizations that I've done because uh, I did have a little bit of a shorter leash as far as what I could do. Um, but it, you know, I wrote a really good book and I was like, <laughs> yeah, like it kind of sucks. Nobody's read it, but you know, okay, now, yet, yet cleared. So um, that's, yeah. and there we go. <laughs> yeah, sure. You win. So right. what, what is the, um, turnaround time like how how long do they let you kind of toil over a novelization of a movie um i mean you know uh, when we did the first one um david just asked me about how long i thought it would take and i i think i told him i you know i'd never done one i said generally it takes me about nine months to write one of my own okay um but i said since this is you know, uh, it will be a shorter project. Um, I said probably about half that. And that gave me enough wiggle room. Um, you know, once I've done my outlining and my prep work, I can knock out, you know, 2,000, 3,000 words a day. And there's about 90,000 in one of these books. And yeah. uh, so it's, you know, like I said, I think I, I wrote Night of the Demon in about 10 weeks. Um, Wow. But this is, but you know, this is what I do. Um, so you know, when I sit down to write, it's work time for me. I mean, yeah. it's fun, you know, but it's, it's, uh, it's work time. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty fast, pretty fast with them. I think if like, I, I like to think of the what ifs, what if I was getting steady work from like a bunch of different companies, how many of these could I do a year? And I, I think, you know, I could, I could probably do four a year, you know? Uh, wow. Well, so how does that process work now, Brad? So do, do you, do you, do they come to you with the, uh, the film idea or do you have any suggestions? What's the back and forth there? Um, new releases. They, uh, he, there's always been, uh, well, it, yeah, it's something, uh, with Severin, it's been something that they are gearing up to put out. And, um, David's just said, Hey, you want to, you want to do this one? And, uh, you know, sure. <laughs> like, uh, the, the last one, I, I, I did Mardi Gras massacre. Um, 
he was, uh, you know, doing interviews with uh, the director, I believe, during uh, Texas Frightmare Weekend. And he came down from doing that interview and said, okay, the next novel is going to be Mardi Gras Massacre. And so I got home and started on Monday <laughs> writing that thing. Um, well, I, the, the reason why I ask is, uh, first of all, it's an interesting question. Second of all, uh, so I could ask this question. Um, I think that Carnival Magic, the novelization, needs it. to happen. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I'm sure I'm gonna. I'm sure I'm gonna make David listen to this. So, uh, but he did. He did do. He did do. Uh, you know that big Al Adamson set. And, oh, I know. I can't get it now. I my favorite. My favorite thing, though, my idea, and of course we we could never do this. Uh, but you know, Severin put out Overboard. Yeah. Know, the, and my idea was to I could novelize this thing and take the humor out and make it this dark rape revenge type thing. Oh man. And sell that to fans of overboard. <laughs> you, you can, you can play around with night of the demon. You can't go mess with Goldie Hawn's movie. Oh. You know? <laughs> Do it. But someday, you know, maybe that'd be, that'd be incredible. Yeah. I mean, right. would, so you wouldn't read the novelization of carnival magic. I'll tell you right now, if uh, I'm planning on going back and reading a lot more of Brad Carter's work, so I don't know, if you did a Goldie Hawn fucking movie, I'd probably read it. <laughs> it's going to be in regular rotation. I'm honestly, I'm shocked that in a little over four months, you put together this book. Because now, I know probably a lot of the people that listen to this show don't read. You should read. It, you know, in the digital age, it really helps with my focus, like kind of zooming in on one thing and just kind of <laughs> living in it. And the way that Brad wrote night of the demon it kind of reads like a a a very adult kind of like goosebumps it's not a lot of heavy lifting the characters are very fleshed out and uh there's twists and turns i thought it was fantastic so if you're kind of like i'm not gonna read this book because i know you own it i know we all bought that damn thing to get the stupid little statue right (laughs) and then you're gonna read the fucking book and be like this isn't even the real bigfoot because you know one of the examples that the, the way you hurt the movie for me, there's that scene in the van where there's the couple hooking up in the back. Oh, I yeah, believe, yeah. Uh, Clark, you're looking at me like, like you don't remember, but it's the titty sucking scene. Oh, <laughs> that, well, there you go. Don't bury the lead, dude. <laughs> How jarring is that? Like, because again, we're dealing with a, a porn director. Like, just to see a dude like put his mouth on a nipple, it's like, whoa, we've we've stepped into weird territory now. Oh, yeah. No, we stepped into cool territory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, believe it or not, Brad fucking sleezed up that scene. Yeah. Because what happens My is, man. <laughs> instead of like Lou Ferrigno showing up and kind of doing some off-camera throwing of blood on the wall, yeah, the door gets ripped off. The dude, <laughs> does he rape the guy? Yeah, <laughs> that, that the the uh, kind of what happens is he drags the guy out there, and she can hear him screaming like, "Oh God, no!" No, so it's implied that yeah, that's <laughs> good. He should get raped. Like yeah. we, you know, in these films, there's so many women. Uh, Randy, can we isolate that <laughs> drop, please, for Russell's? Hey, uh... I'm just equal opportunity, <laughs> right? Yeah, and it's here's the thing. I there's always an argument that when women scream in horror films, it's very titillating. Like even when they're being murdered, they're kind of like moaning in ecstasy. In that film, they very much are. And uh, 
just to kind of flip that on its head, have them both be brutalized. I like, honestly, when I first read that, I went, holy shit, this dude doesn't give a fuck, especially in the modern time. Like the way that he describes the phallus of Bigfoot is just, it's terrifying, but also we're dealing, we're dealing with a girl who is kind of using her sexual prowess uh, as an advantage in social situations. Like she's very much in control. This book is full of strong female characters and a couple of them weaponize their gender. And she's face to face with this behemoth that reeks like the skunk ape and is, you know, has a baby arm as a, uh, as a member. And the inner dialogue she has where she's horrified of this thing trying to penetrate her. I'm just like, whoa, dude, we're in the deep end now. But yet, that's all I feel like this is going to sound weird, but it's justified when you get the context that this thing is trying to procreate because he doesn't want to become extinct. Yeah. And it's like, damn, dude. <laughs> I remember I remember writing that scene, and I think this a lot when I'm writing these things. <laughs> Holy shit, Brad, your, your mother is going to read this. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah she's my you know <laughs> my biggest fan um, <laughs> but uh you know it's not a surprise because i think uh yeah i'm looking at the book right now on the back it, it says you know that there's dick ripping and all this in it so i mean i, th- I think if you read the little blurb on the back by the time you get to that you can hardly be surprised you know no. we did warn you Brett, <laughs> but, did you write the, the back um, I wrote, uh, some of it, I think, um, the last part, where, there's my dog barking. Um, like the think, yeah, <laughs> he's all 18 pounds of him. Um, uh, I, I wrote most of it, but the part at the end with the, you know, part animal, all blood chilling, dick ripping, flesh feasting creature from hell. That was David, I think, uh, or someone. Okay. Then, uh, David, we know you're listening. Let, let me, I'm going to be brutally honest here. The back of the book made me a little worried because <laughs> only the back of the book doesn't feel in sync with the, the actual book because the book comes through with like love and elevation. The back of the book felt like sleazy movies where they're trying to sell me on like the, uh, the shock. And I was like, man, I'm not interested in watching a book take or like a book take down this movie because I wouldn't be uh. holding the book if I didn't like the movie. Well, okay, but do you? But also, by virtue of that thought, yeah, don't you think that Severn is aware of that and like they've got respect for that property I, as well? I do, but it starts veering into that territory of like we like um, weird film, like avant-garde stuff. We like shit like The Room, where Tommy Wiseau is an American, but he's trying to make an American culture film, and that disconnect is authentic. Where I think a lot of what I was worried about there was somebody being self-aware and inauthentic. Like, kind of like, hey, this is a piece of shit, but check it out. It's got a dick ripping. And I'm like, I'm not here for that. Like, give me a, give me a heartfelt dick ripping. (laughs) (laughs) I know, but what I'm saying is trust the process. Hey, but uh, hey, I'll follow through this honest thought. It worried me. I think it's kind of a fine, it's a fine line. It's hard. It's a hard one to walk where you want to, um, you know, sell it to fans of the movie that are that are looking for something kind of sleazy and also to you know maybe even get someone who hasn't seen the movie to to read the book um you know it's 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 a 
it could be a tough sell, I guess. Um, <laughs> but my my pitch always, you know, I do these horror conventions when I'm behind the table to to sell someone on the book is, you know, it's fun. These, you know, I've I have, you know, degrees in creative writing and I I know the craft, but I want to write books that people like to read that uh, they actually are going to have fun reading. Um, you know, I'm not trying to write the great American novel, but, uh, you know, if you got like a long flight or something, this, this will do it for you, you know? Um, what, and, what do you like to read, Brad? Oh, uh, well, you know, I, I, I don't read a lot of horror fiction, um, a lot of newer horror fiction really, because, um, I don't feel like a lot of times the writers treat the characters with any kind of humanity. They're just, they're sort of, oh. thin. I think a lot of horror writers are um, really good at writing the monster and the kill and all that stuff, but they kind of forget the part where the characters have interior lives um, where they exist to do something other than be killed or scared. Um, but you know, I, I read a lot of uh, commercial fiction. I really, I've you know, I've been reading the Jack Reacher books. Uh, there's a writer uh, from San Francisco named uh, Christopher Moore, who's one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. I'm, reading, I'm reading one of his right now. Um, Prolific. Yeah, I mean, I I like Elmore Leonard. You know, um, L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> yeah, oh <God. laughs> you know, I, I did actually read Battlefield Earth, all five thousand pages of it. Um, really, just you know, anything. I'm looking at my bookshelf over here. You know, I've got Lovecraft and all that, all that stuff, and old Conan stuff. Uh, oh, right. I read a lot of like film stuff. Um, you know, like Stephen Thrower stuff, uh, Nightmare USA books, like that. Um, I'm always reading uh, two or three books at a time, so it's just. I'm Did no you reader. read Tarantino's uh, novelization of his own film? No, I haven't. I do own it. I haven't gotten to it yet, but um, there's a, a really super cool uh, guy named Jim Coons who is working on a documentary about um, film novelizations, like right now. And, really? Uh, he told me my my stuff was better. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh good. Yeah, it's yeah. if you want to find it on Instagram, it's under tied in film and he yeah. posts like all the, he has a, the world's most astounding collection of film novelizations and he puts one up like every day, I think. But he did he interviewed me for that uh, documentary. I hope it comes out and you know cuz that maybe that'll give me a bump and I can keep doing these things cuz I really like doing them. Man, you know, I, I loved reading your book so much, and I'm not joking that I, I want to go read more. The thought of you continuing to pump these out scares me, though, because it takes so long to read a book, and I'm like, fuck, dude, I want to get them. Yeah. I, uh, which one do you think is the best that you did for Severin? Uh, the upcoming Carnival Magic adaptation. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a tough call. Um, I really liked uh, the last one I did, uh, Mardi Gras Massacre, because... As thin as uh, the plot and everything and in, in uh, Cruel Jaws and Night of the Demon is, it's even thinner. <laughs> and it's this movie set like in the 70s with tough guys and stuff. And so I got to do a lot of things that I like, you know, where you can have 
guys call women broads and a gun is a piece and you know hippies smoking grass you know (laughs) i wrote it as like this uh sort of dirty hairy tough guy thing even though it's like a it's a slasher movie really and uh so i that was one where i got to do all the stuff you were that you you know that you like i got to add a thousand characters i got to put all kinds of scenes in there and uh you know, I got to one of my favorite things that I did in Cruel Jaws and in that one. And well, on all three of them, really, is I kind of planted the seed, like, could there be a sequel? Which I think is just hilarious to do. Yeah. Because obviously not. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so it sounds to me like, yeah, you were saying that Mardi Gras Massacre, you know, the plot is is even less so than what we've talked about before. So that gives mm-hmm. you more room to play. Right. So let's say that. Uh, the highbrow oligarchs at A24 <laughs> decide to, I, do you like, I like that? I like where you're going. Thank you. That, that they at A24 decide that they want to do this and they want to copy Severn. And so they want to do novelization <laughs> of Midsomar. Um, yeah. Now, I am sure, I imagine the payday would be nice. It'd be a, a nice little, you know, thank you, A24. But the, the, experience, the, the experience of doing a novelization of a film like that, I assume would be fucking murderous because um, of, of, of just of all of the, the pitfalls that you're walking into um, just with that sort of, do you mean like the fandom or just, that's a huge part of it. Okay. Yeah. Well, going into, if that was, if I was going into that project, I would, um, you know, want to know very upfront what, um, you know, what they were interested in, you know, what kind of end product they want, you know, what, what I could do, what I couldn't do. I'd want to know all that before I could start. I mean, that said, I would totally write it because, you know, I'm a working writer. Um, I'm not in the, I'm not in the uh, position to turn down work. And in the end, I mean, all these movie novelizations are spec work. And so, um, you know, if, in the event David wants me to change something, you know, he's the client. Um, I mean, I've done ghostwriting work, um, uh, a lot of heavy story editing work. And, um, you know, I, I, if they want, uh, if the client wants something, um, you know, I can deliver it. Um, and that said, it, you're right. It probably wouldn't be as fun, <laughs> but <it> probably, <laughs> But spending that money would be so. A twenty four. I'm I'm here for you guys. <laughs> so, what did you think of Midsummer? Me, um, yeah. You know, I'm trying to think. Uh, you know, it was okay. The one I, a lot of this, uh, I guess, sort of elevated genre stuff. Um, it's not really my my thing. I I didn't really like hereditary at all i yeah it just didn't do anything for me i I like the witch um but but really a lot of it just hasn't made much of an impression on me like i I, you know there's not a lot i was i'd rather watch the wicker man i'll put it that way (laughs) there you go well here we go so when when you mention hereditary there's a scene in that movie that i feel like you would be on board with where we have our protagonist going over a neighbor's house and proposing they do like a seance. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you mentioned was like living in a horror character. 
And you know, it's actually funny. Last week, <laughs> the guest we had on the show before you, Brad, was Spider One, who is the front man for Power Man 5000. Yeah. Rob now, Zombie's right? Yeah, his yeah. little brother. And he just ventured into film. And unlike uh, Rob Zombie, he's going the indie route. Mm-hmm. And he made a film called Allegoria that, uh, I, you know, I've read a lot of people covering it, and they all call it like an anthology horror. Which I think yeah, it, I think I saw that pop up on my Shutter Netflix or something, yeah, but, I, but you know, I didn't know what it is. It's really not like an anthology. It's more like Holidays or ABC's of Death, where there's mm-hmm. stories together, except they tie together through the construction of like a film. And I can see what Spider's doing in that movie because he's really trying to live in the characters. There's um one of the shorts is a screenplay writer who kind of experiences the horror that he's writing. And I know, I know when you're writing shit like Night of the Demon, this is what you're doing. You're really trying to embody like, well, okay, Carla's a throwaway character. Let's give her a romance plot and have yep. an internal dialogue of her being an older girl who clearly could sleep with this football jock and kind of struggling with that. Like, am I above that? We're on an expedition to find Bigfoot and somebody just got clawed. Dude, talk about elevating something. That claw scene. Now, I'm not going to go on a tangent, but yeah. dude. <laughs> Man, when that happened in the fucking, when Lou Ferrigno raked his fingernails down the back of a character, and then he got up and they're like, dude, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm okay. I was like, what? I felt so betrayed because of the treatment you gave that guy in your book. Again, read fucking Night of the Demon. I'm sorry. I just derailed myself. I Dude, Brad, I'm showing uh, notes. They're all notes of comparisons I made on the book. There's... there's, where uh, the origin story of the uh, spoiler territory with the baby Bigfoot. My God, you, you, you know, you just could, you just made fun of elevating horror yet. You did it with this film. Yeah. I mean, but I, I think a lot of times with like the elevated genre stuff, there's like this um, air of condescension sort of oh, that comes from it. And I never want to do that. Um, I want to, you know, because that's totally, I'm, I love this stuff. I love the source material, but you know, at the same time, I, you know, I am a writer and, um, you know, if I'm going to write a novel, I'm going to write it. Um, there's going to be something in there. Um, and when you're working with the, you know, words on the page, you can give characters and, you know, internal lives that you can't give them in a movie. Um, and so I feel obligated to, you know, kind of look at these characters and say, well, who are they really? And, uh, <laughs> you know, and plus, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's a matter of getting a full book out of a very, you know, very tiny screenplay. And, um, but I'll, you know, I'm, I never want to, you know, condescend. I mean, I, hopefully I make it better because, you know, these were movies with limited means and, uh, yeah, I don't have any limits when I'm writing stuff. So um, I hope I do them justice, but also, you know, maybe make them a little more interesting. You know, if you just watch Night of the Demon and I just, you know, did a blow by blow, scene by scene rewrite of it, it, you know, where, yeah. where's the where's the value in that? So I, I hope I'm adding value to the movie. There you go. Well, Brad, we only threatened to keep you for an hour, but I got like two more questions. Yeah, go ahead. Well, that. Clark, are you cool? I know you're staring at me. Because I know what two questions means in <laughs> Russell talk. And okay. for another 45 minutes. Well, I, I ruined my own question about Hereditary by going on a tangent about how much I love his book. Great, let's move so, on. So, 
I can yeah. I, I like those tangents. I love to hear that. <laughs> yeah, try living with me as every most of the people who work on this show do. I'm just here to keep the gutter guards up. Oh, good. So so okay. Elevated horror. Uh, you, oh, you've boy. nailed it. A condescension. That's the real problem. Because well, we do want people thinking a lot about horror. That's why we talk about it fucking twice a week on this show. Because it's an art form. We want to explore it. Yet, you're, you're totally right with A24. There's this condescension. There's an interesting in between. Did you ever hear what Joe Bob said about what uh, his definition of elevated horror? Oh, no. Um, he said or- that... El- yeah, he said that elevated horror is the term that people who like a horror movie who don't like horror movies. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, they almost don't want the stigma attached, right? Exactly. Where yeah. somebody would be like, oh, why do you like watching people get killed? It's well, like, the classic example of that is The Silence of the Lambs. People don't want to say it's a horror movie. I'm like, oh, yeah. It's about a guy that's killing people to make a skin suit. Oh, and there's <laughs> Roger Corman's in it, and George Romero has a cameo. I mean, yeah. Does that sound like a horror movie to you? I mean, to me it does, but oh no, it had Academy Award nominations. It must be a thriller. You know? Oh, exactly. I fucking it's, hate that. Well, you know, it's interesting because I found the most value, and this is going to sound weird, that comes from the discussion of like elevated horror is uh, the best conversation I've heard was probably in Scream 5. Have you seen that? Uh, yeah, I, I haven't. I think the third one was the last one I watched. All right. Well, here's the thing. Um, the third one, I don't blame you for stopping there. It's the worst of the whole franchise. The, yet the movies have been able to maintain in the moment. So Scream 4, we, it's kind of dated now. Like they don't age well. But like the conversation they were having was perfect. Like when I saw it in the theater, I'm like, oh, this is very topical. With Scream 5, we open up and we are they're riffing on Babadook and they're making fun of elevated horror. And yet at the same time, there's this there's this like sidebar in the movie where one of the characters is haunted by Billy Loomis and they're almost doing like a Dexter thing. And I'm like, it's Ugh. I thought it was incredible that they're having a kind of thoughtful discussion of elevated horror and how it kind of hurts the horror genre. But at yeah. the same time, doing something so lowbrow. Like having a ghost as like kind of a cameo, and I'm like, wow, there's a lot of range in this movie, and it's interesting because I've talked about Scream Five a lot. That always kind of gets forgotten, the weird Billy thing. And I remember when I watched it in the theater, I was like, like I mean, Skeet Ulrich, he's a, a beloved character from the original, and it was kind of cool to see him again. But it also felt like it was making me cringe how they did it, because yeah. <laughs> I fucking hated that Dexter like. His dad was haunting him. The dark passenger. Oh, dude. <laughs> yeah, so Brad, you got to watch that. And um, since you didn't have an answer there, I will push on with my second question. Um, again, I apologize, Clark. I know you wanted to talk about Cruel Jaws. So I'm curious. I will pick up the book. Are they available separately, or did you have to get them in like a bundle? Uh, no, they're... they're uh, uh, well, Night of the Demon and... Uh, Mardi Gras Massacre are available. Cruel Jaws. Uh, oh <laughs> I, I'm not sure I could, I'm supposed to talk about anything involved with that. Oh, no. Oh, uh, no. But that, for the time being, at least, that book is not available. Um, I uh, love it. I, <laughs> I, I might have some copies that, you know. 
Oh, Brad, uh, if, if one falls off a truck, please sell it to me because yeah. I'm so curious. I can definitely do that. I do have a, I do have a bunch of author copies. So. All right, good. Don't incriminate yourself or anything. But I, we never had this conversation. Yeah, I'm dying to. That was know, recorded. I'm, t- I'm dying to know your treatment of little Hulk Hogan in that. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, I uh, that. You know, that was the first novelization I did. So it's where I kind of found my feet. And, um, you know, I that was one where I think David said, I, you wrote the book that I wish the movie could have been. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and I think, I think he was kind of taken aback by the, the fact that, uh, you know, I, I actually put some effort into it. You know, I could, I probably could have half asked it and it would have been okay. Uh, so that that was me kind of finding my feet and thinking, well, I, you know, this is something I enjoy. So, did you make their marine park bigger than just two ratty dolphins? <laughs> yes, yeah, I did. did. <laughs> and, uh, uh, the big thing there was uh, there's a character um, in the movies, uh, like a uh, he's a a black guy that's like a sheriff or. A, law enforcement somehow in law enforcement and he's wearing a cowboy hat and he's mm-hmm. just a background character in the movie but i thought why is this guy in this thing so i made him yeah. awesome and, uh, the movie's not real clear about where it's set so um i'm i put it in the redneck riviera you know down the gulf coast like wow. alabama <laughs> and uh so i got a lot of fun out of having this um this dude in this small redneck town. This, oh, I love this, it. This black guy from up north. Which, uh, uh, so yeah, there you go. I'm, I'm, I'm off the rail now. So. so I spent many summers of my life in the redneck Riviera. Wait, I just I spent this one <laughs> down there. <laughs> what the hell is the redneck Riviera? It's the Gulf Coast of Alabama, okay. Florida. What's yeah, the yeah, water like there? Horrible. Okay. <laughs> No, it's a it's you know white it's white sand beaches, but what makes it horrible is if, if you're like there in public beach, you get the full um, you know uh, Alabama tourist yeah. <laughs> experience. Um, thankfully, we we were staying way out of town, so we were pretty isolated. But <laughs> it's it's great if you're you're into uh, oil spills. Oh my god! Yeah, that happens <laughs> over there. Yeah, and but, jellyfish. Okay, last question. Do do we get a dolphins fighting the shark moment in your book? <laughs> yeah. No, but uh I did turn up uh, I did turn up the volume on uh you get um uh let's see, what'd you call it? Mini Hulk Hogan. Um he's like got his Viking fan warrior fantasy at uh, fighting the shark with a harpoon. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. Um, <laughs> So earlier, I, I had made an off- it's not in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> earlier, I had made an offhand comment about your brother, and I know it didn't land at all. I, what I was referring to is we do have a, a buddy, Zach Carter, who works for Intervision. And um, when we started talking about Night of the Demon, and I, I just started g- gushing to him. And I'm like, dude, who the fuck is Brad Carter? And how did you guys find him? And he was like, oh, I don't know, you know too much, but like, I really hope we keep working with him. Because he's a he's a fan too, so there's no relation there, right? You're not Carter brothers. Uh, no, no, I didn't. Uh, you know, I th- I thought I knew most of the people that were you know sort of in the Severin orbit at least by name because um, 
I do, um, you know, some work for them here and there, um, you know, if, uh, if, if they need printed matter edited or, um, some of the subtitles proofread and stuff, I, I do, um, you know, work, do little, uh, contract jobs for them. Um, so uh, over the course of a few years, I thought I'd gotten to know ch- or at least to meet just about everybody, but I, I don't know this guy, but I like his <laughs> life. <laughs> Dude, yeah. Uh, Zach, he's a good friend. God, he's been fucking with us for years now, but, um, Hey, let David know one thing I can say about Severin. And I completely mean this. Everybody we've ever met that's worked for them has been fucking cool, like genuine fans. Exactly. Like uh, Chris, yeah. Chris and Lee, uh, director of Dead Dicks, he does a lot of film work for them in Canada. And I'm just like, God damn, dude, David just pulls together the coolest group of people. David, we're one of your biggest cheerleaders, <laughs> so let us into the Severn Cellar, baby. Oh, well, yeah. you know, it would have it been cool for like any of like the you know boutique uh, physical media companies to you know to ask me to to write some of these novels but i'm really glad it was severin i mean they they, i mean they have been my favorite of the of those companies for a while i really like the stuff they do and um it's like the coolest thing ever to you know get to work with them and uh, to say like uh, you know well what do you do when people ask me what do you do i'm like i write horror movie novelizations you know Um, (laughs) Uh, yeah, most people think I'm making that up, but, uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And like I said, I, you know, I, I haven't talked to him about it yet, but I'm hoping that maybe this year I get to do another one. Um, I think so far I, I don't think any of them have, uh, set the world afire with sales, but I don't, uh, you know, I think they've done okay for, for Severin and hopefully it'll be something they want to do moving Dude. forward. It's 2022 and you're writing books. <laughs> like, <fuck>. I know. <laughs> hey, your work is fantastic. I think you should brag about it more. You're far too humble. You're far too much of a gentleman. Uh, and if you were worried that Bigfoot raping both men and women in a van in backwoods was going to tarnish your name, don't worry. Being on our show will. <laughs> and, uh, dude, I love you, man. Thank you for taking the time. I know we kept you long. But, oh, uh, no problem. Thanks for thanks for letting me. Uh, I love you know, I love. I'm a writer. I love to talk about myself. <laughs> well, next time you put out a book, expect to get another uh, uh, harassing DM from Oksana because uh, <laughs> I'm definitely going to want to drag you back on here. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, especially after your completion of the novelization <laughs> of Carnival Magic. Carnival Magic. I'll um, you know, I'll uh, I'll I'll throw that one out there. Um, <laughs> It's gonna happen. We'll see. I mean, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not really sure what's coming out, you know, this year. Um, but I, I think if I was to write one now, it would probably be out in in the summer or spring. So, you know, we'll see. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll bend his ear about it and see what I'm. Okay. <laughs> hey, it's not time for a paycheck, buddy. <laughs> What do you want me to do? <laughs> well, this was so much fun, man. Um, thanks, thanks so much for hanging out with us, Brad. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, 
go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theater, Instagram at The Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Statt. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye.